VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Today we're talking excuses, excuses, excuses as Pep Guardiola and Manchester City crash out of the Carabao Cup to leave all the other teams thinking, hey, we might win a trophy this season. That'd be exciting. We'll also be looking ahead to the best of the weekend's games and make sure you stay with us for the second half of the show because we're going to be having an in-depth chat about all things modern coaching and also the assistant manager. Are they really the genius behind the managerial success? Joining me, Tom Clark, for all of that, we've got Chief Correspondent for The Times and Sunday Times, Martin Samuel, Football Correspondent for The Sunday Times, Johnny Northcroft, and a former footballer who once scored direct from a corner for Chesterfield against Mansfield in 2007 in a 3-1 win, the one and only Gregor Robertson. You've got a new gag. There you go. <laughs> Get that one quick. Gregor. Going to have to go through your entire career trajectory to do a new one every single episode. <laughs> Could you do some digging then? Yeah, is that? <laughs> Windy Dial, vicious inswinger. What was? That it? was a vicious inswinger. Vicious inswinger. Cut the oh, keeper fantastic. out. Did you? Did you mean it? No, I mean yeah. just just a. Put plenty of swaz on it, as yeah. they say, you know. Did you put your hand up in that sort of corner? Yeah, oh, yes, yeah, celebrate yeah. wildly. No, no, before you took it, did you? Oh. Like, I'm, this is this one's going Can in the post top yeah, corner. I can't that remember. Long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, a big, big moment for Gregor Robertson and a big moment for Newcastle last night, beating Manchester City, and they were good value for that win. Um, we'll come to them shortly, but we wanted to use their win to talk about excuses. Pep Guardiola before the match giving his Manchester City team excuses for their defeat by talking about their travel arrangements and having to get a coach home after the game. Martin, when we were planning the show and talking about the Carabao Cup, this was something that stood out to you as the psychology of the excuse, the managerial excuse. Mm. And you had some interesting views on Pep Guardiola and his tactics for this match. Not so much his tactics for the match. I don't understand, and I'm not about to lecture Pep Guardiola on how to manage a football team, but I don't understand why any manager gives players an excuse um, to fail. Um, the, the thing about the coach... I mean, for, for starts, starters with going to an away match by coach, it does make you wonder how Liverpool did it for all those years and, <laughs> and, you know, using 14 players in one season. No one got planes in those days and, and you know, and, and the games were hard and it was a 22-team uh, top division and everything. I, I can't see the much difference in the time either. I mean, by the time you've got a coach to the airport and sat around on the tarmac and taxied mm. and loaded and and everything, and and then the same at the other end. I, I I can't see there's going to be much more than an hour in it in terms of just walking out of St James's Park, jumping on the coach, and and it's not as if it's not as if they're on a National Express, you know. Squeezed in like sardines. We've all been there. Great fun, those. You see these. You see these coaches that the the teams have got. I mean, they're 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 fantastic. So, I I don't understand why why anyone did it. And and what I was saying earlier, uh, what I said earlier is that I know I've I've mentioned this guy's Hmm. name a lot, but he was an extraordinarily smart guy. And Terry Venables with England, 1994, took over uh, England, and there was a lot of fuss about chips. Uh, quite, players, quite right too there should always players, be a fuss about, about chips players wanting chips at lunch usually and it's the condiments usually but this was about chips and chips had been banned and no one was happy and Terry went to the chef they didn't have dietitians I don't think or nutritionists they, knew, they just had the chef and he went to the chef and said look um, is there any way 
that we could they can have chips and it's relatively healthy is there any way of making chips healthy and this jeff explained as i'm sure we can all work out times readers are a smart bunch that um the problem with chips is the surface area and that they're very thin and so you've got a lot of surface area covered in fat so if you make the chip bigger it's got a smaller surface area so you know one great big chip is the equivalent of like 20 small chips from mcdonald's or whatever Mm. and the fat content of one is much smaller than the fat content of the other so terry said well so you could do big chips very big (laughs) chips and they'd still be chips and they'd have less fat content he said oh yeah I, i could do that and so that's what they did and so what it means is we didn't we don't win a world cup on on the back of it but it removes an excuse for dissatisfaction so you're saying in that scenario venables is going there you go i've given you your chips your one giant chip yeah enjoy yourself or two i think it was two, two in the end it's a big big spud deep fried <laughs> yeah. you've got it yeah yeah be happy now get yeah. out and train no, like i want to, now, now yeah. you've got no excuse you've got no excuse mm. for everyone sitting around grumbling going oh you can't even have what you want anymore <laughs> and you can't do this and you can't do that and he was very very big on that very very big on not necessarily banging on about tiredness not you know not giving players an excuse to say oh well you know mm. that's that's why we've lost today because we have we didn't get our plane home from newcastle the northeast of course known for its chips uh, <laughs> i've had some many fine chippy teas in my time up there maybe pep should have just gone to the chippy and got everyone on the coach and had a right good uh, knees up on the way up johnny do you agree because pep is known for his excuses much like a lot of top managers jürgen klopp sir alex ferguson back in the day mm. they love an excuse do you agree with martin that a, a preemptive excuse almost slightly undermined his team before they'd even played it. I do ask this to Gregor upstairs actually that Pep seemed to get himself in a in a bit of a tizzy about the whole game before it was even played, starting with the coach. And I've, I mean, he's not a good loser anyway. He's not good when things aren't aren't going the way he wants. But I felt the whole demeanour last night was. Um, petulance and annoyance and that transmitted to the players the minute Newcastle started getting stuck into them a little bit in the second half Pep was his reaction was that was almost an excuse being ready made on on the pitch that that, that, things are really going against us look at the officials and that that, that conveys to to players Um, I thought before yeah I thought before the game it was strange mood musical if you Mm. want to put it that way to to go in on because he's also talked a lot lately about being tired generally even before this kind of travel Moan. There was a bit of oh, my players are knackered already. Yeah, that kind of thing. It's always the goals around the Carabao Cup as well. Yeah, yeah. you yeah. know, you want everyone to break out the small violins, saying that they've not got. Yeah. you know, the players are exhausted. We've not got enough players for this. When you could easily just delve into your, your, you know, your, your, your fantastically <laughs> equipped academy and squad. Yeah. But surely tiredness doesn't even come into it at this stage in the season, does it? End of September, you should be about as fresh as you can be. Yeah, I mean, look. It, the season is like it never it seems to never end now. In fairness, yeah, in true. modern mm. football, but uh, I completely agree. I think it is a kind of the psychology before the game was mm. was strange. Um, and I, I said to you before, I remember a manager of mine, Mick Hartford, saying around a heavy, heavy kind of festive mm. period of fixtures when when we were tired. When he said he said before in the this kind of pre-match uh, team talk, I don't believe in tiredness. Mm. He said it's all in the mind. And everyone was like, hang on a minute, <laughs> you know, yeah. I better not look like I'm tired. So, you know, it's a small thing. We're not, you know, it, it's only a fractional thing. And I think probably the team they put out and the way that they played was obviously far more important. Mm. But I, uh, yeah. psychology plays a part in football. There's no question about that. I, I don't think I don't think physical tiredness is a thing anymore at the top level. I think they're too fit. Mm. Squads are too big. Sports science is too good. I think we saw that in COVID, actually, where... I wrote, and I think others wrote articles saying our players will never be able to cope with this workload. We're going to see intensity dropping. And and actually the numbers showed that that we didn't see intensity dropping at all, even though they had this crazy sort of crammed in season. But I do think mental tiredness is a thing, to be fair. I think that's that's where it affects players. But that's where, if you tell them already before a match that, that, that... they maybe shouldn't be there then that's that's not going to mm. freshen their minds to play is it Frank Lampard always said that when I don't know if I've said this on here before that when Chelsea were at their absolute peak under Jose mm. Mourinho uh, that, that era of Chelsea that if they'd have played at 12.30 on Saturday and they'd have come off at 2.30 having won mm. as they usually won 
Uh, and someone had said, you need to go again at 5.30 this evening. We, you know, we've slipped a fixture in and it's the 5.30. He said, you would have gone. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we were winning. He said, and you just don't feel tired when you're winning, winning, winning. So particularly with Manchester City at the moment, who, who can't lose a game, it seems, mm. um, until last night, um, you do wonder, you know, how tired they actually yeah. felt, or, you know, or whether those guys could just go, yeah, we'll go, we'll, we'll, we'll keep going, we'll Klopp, keep going. Klopp does it as well. He, he banged on about those lunchtime kickoffs on a yeah. Saturday. They won recently, didn't they? That that broke spell yeah. of 12 After minutes. an awful first half. After an awful first half. But I think by talking so much about the, the yeah. schedule should be changed, we don't like yeah. these lunchtime kickoffs, that, that must have got into the players. Well, one thing I'd be slightly kind of weary about is how much players actually go away and, and listen to forensically what Klopp says yeah, or yeah. Pep says mm. in the media. I mean, we, we obviously do, but mm. you, know, you, would, you would say that probably the things that he's saying are going to be reflected in, the, in what Internally. he says to them in the change room as yeah. well. So you didn't listen You didn't listen to much your manager's press conference particularly closely. It was more what he said to you in the change room when you were playing. Certainly more, yeah. yeah. I mean, there'd be times where you would... You, you couldn't avoid it, but when uh, he slagged you off in the do, back page, well, you definitely avoid yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I do know that I, I know the United players in Fergie's day used to be glued to that TV. On that, that post-match interview, the dressing would be silent and they'd mm. be watching. What is he going to say? But he always said the same. You know, few of them that have spoken to me about it. He actually did. He was very consistent. He would say the same thing to them in the dressing room usually beforehand that he would say on TV but they were still waiting for that moment of what's he, what's he going to tell the wider world mm. It's an interesting point about the competition in general because obviously teams like Mansfield Port Vale uh, through to the next round they'll be playing with much smaller squads <laughs> uh, I've got my excuses ready for why uh, Martin's mighty West Ham beat my Lincoln City last night we didn't have a striker we had to play the same team that we played at the weekend uh, so that's the only reason you got past us Tom's nil. got a lot more invested in this than I <laughs> in, in the oh, supposed we banter we don't <laughs> Oh, we meant to have yeah. about Lincoln versus <laughs> West Ham. Trust me. Honestly, he wins one European trophy and he forgets <laughs> his roots. Honestly, down in the football in the League. Cup. Anyway, hey, don't start on that World Cup nonsense again. <laughs> I wasn't even born. I don't believe it. Um, mm. But on the idea of rotation and things, coming back to Newcastle and City, obviously Eddie Howe did make changes himself. I mean, I, I kind of expect. I wondered whether he would go really strong team. Obviously, after the weekend's huge win, Pep makes changes as well. What does it say about? How then that he's kind of got this group of players: Jamal Lascelles, Paul Dummett, Matt Target, um, Lewis Hall playing on the left. What does it say about him and his management of that group in terms of looking at it and looking at this competition and looking at the season after nil-nil against AC Milan, eight-nil mm. to then go and beat Manchester City, Johnny? Yeah, it, it, I mean he's he's managing that group really impressively and and uh, and. And this is like new territory for Eddie Howe because he's tended to he worked at Bournemouth obviously for most of his career with that classic small squad, small club where you can be the king of it all and you can have a tight leash on pretty much every player and he invests in one on one sessions, so that's part of his coaching, and give that personal touch. Now this is the first time he's been in, in European competition that he's had this this bigger, fatter squad. And looking at the performance of Livramento, for example, it's just fantastic. But also looking at Anthony Gordon and his impact when he comes on, um, that that shows you know the, they were all in the right place in terms of mindset for that match. And that's um, Tonali got some useful minutes. And um, so far, you'd, you'd say he was managing this 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 different challenge really really well. And and the cup becomes a useful tool for for you when you're in a good moment because mm. it is that opportunity to um, I guess push the rest of the squad on so Livermento plays like he does that that, that, that pushes on Kieran Trippier that, that pushes on everybody when, when you can see the replacement doing so well and they wouldn't, you wouldn't have been able to, to give him those minutes without the cup yeah. Having you, said that though they were poor in the first half very passive mm. and the changes and as we discussed mm. earlier Johnny probably a bit of a rocket at half time yeah. Yeah. but that's and what I mean that team. reaction mm. to, to having made those changes make more changes mm. recognise it bring on star players that's again a big factor isn't it in managing a squad yeah but also just to kind of reminding them what makes them good what makes them what's made them a success what's brought them this far which is getting in their faces getting mm. in the opposition's faces pressing high being relentless you saw uh, Isaac celebrating blocking a blocking a forward pass in the corner and getting the crowd going, Anthony Gordon, like he's, I, I wasn't entirely sure about 
I mean, we hadn't seen enough of him no, when he arrived there. But his yeah. stature's growing. He is, mm. He's a big player. He's a game-changer. And he's got a bit of edge about him as well. He, you know, he smashed the Kovacic, I think it was, in the touchline. You know, he, he he lays down markers in games all the time, and he's he's becoming a really big player for them. The goal comes mm. through intensity. They flood the box. They overwhelm yeah. Rico Lewis with too many bodies in there. And I think mm. the other thing with Newcastle is that I think they've done a, a very good job of convincing everybody that they're a lot weaker and uh, more impoverished. <laughs> and you know, mm. oh, it's all about oh, well, we can't spend a lot of money and. We, you know, we've got to comply with financial, which which they are, and I, I absolutely get that. This is a really good squad. Mm. This is a very, this has got a lot of strength in depth. When you look at some of the teams this season, and I'm talking about the elite teams, you know, the the ones that wanted to form a Super League and all of that, those teams, and you look at their bench, and you look at Newcastle's bench, Newcastle's bench is better. It really is. I mean, when you think of Livermento and Hall and the money that was paid for those players, and they can't yeah, like get in 30 the team. million each, weren't they? Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So £60 million pounds mm. on, on fullbacks there. Yeah. Um, and it's a strong, you know, they're, they're, they're alternating Isaac and Callum Wilson, who would be centre forward at a, a lot of clubs. Mm. A lot of clubs would get into a lot of teams. Um, you know, and at the same time, Eddie, because he's Eddie, and, and I think he's got a fairly, you know, everyone has bought into it up there as well, and so they're, you know, they're they're writing it, and his master's voice, and mm. he says, oh, we, you know, we haven't got, you know, we haven't got the same sort of squad, we haven't spent the money. Everyone goes, no, this is, and you're looking at it thinking, no, this is this this club's going places. Mm. I, I mean, yeah. it's a surprise they got there as quickly as they did into that top four. But when you look at that squad, it's not a surprise that that's a top four squad. No. It really isn't because they've got... Financial backing helps a little bit. Financial (laughs) backing always helps. We have to put that asterisk next to it. Someone has to. A good good coach always helps and good players help. And they've got good players. Yeah, definitely. No doubt. Johnny mentioned there about the cup competitions being a good thing for a team in form. Yeah. It can also be a good thing for a team out of form. Chelsea, yeah. they finally scored. They yeah. finally won a game. Yeah. Gregor, you must be delighted having been <laughs> at Stamford Bridge and casting aspersions over their chances in front of goal. Yeah, delighted uh, for for Jackson because whatever you, people have said about him, he works so hard, really, really hard, always. Um, and you know, I think there's a reason why you could see actually in the celebrations that everyone was so delighted for him. And I think Pochettino is often singing his praises about his work rate and about. You know how he's young; he's got a lot to learn, and how he thinks he could be a really huge striker in, mm. in Europe. Uh, so it's a big moment for him. Although now he's suspended for the next game on Saturday. So <laughs> well, we, we covered that in discretion yes. on Monday's show, didn't we? So, I mean, Chelsea. Thinking about it's just popped into my head because again we were on the editing desk the other day and talking about press conferences. And Pochettino's came in, and Tom Roddy was there and said, "You know, believe what he said. He's talked about doing crossbar challenge with Mikhailo Mudrik yeah. and all the players," and we were like. What is he on about? Why is he trying to hit the crossbar with players when he should be trying to put the ball in the back of the net? And, you know, thinking like editors, how are we going to scheme this into some kind of story? But actually, was that a bit of clever, you know, Fergie-esque distraction tactics, do we think, Johnny, maybe, to get people talking after another defeat at the weekend, going into a cup game, get us journalists and editors talking about something a bit of nonsense, crossbar challenge, and, oh, he should be better than me. Is that a bit of clever management, maybe? Probably he doesn't. I mean, he, he he's quirky in his press conferences. Poch, mm. anyway, you'll talk about lemons. You know, it's, it, he's mm-hmm. he's quite good at he's quite good at sort of um, throwing throwing you that way. But I, I thought that was nice. Actually, I thought it humanised things quite well, and it actually gave him the opportunity to sort of pump up more Mudrich a little bit anyway, mm. because he was able to then use that to get the message out. This guy doesn't know how good he is. He needs to believe in how good he is. Um, Would he want that message out though? I read that thinking, if I'm Mudrik, really? thinking, I can't do, do even I hit the crossbar against do, my manager? Do I need, yeah, do I need my manager telling the world that I'm kind of a bit low in confidence and I'm a kind of player who, who might need the arm around the shoulder or the manager to let me win at crossbar challenge or whatever? Yeah. I'm not sure. I'd throw it that way. I, I, I mean, I guess he's I, also teed it up for the next time he has a shot clean through on goal <laughs> and he hits the crossbar. <laughs> I, know, I tell you what, me and James will be doing straight yeah, away yeah. with the headline. Yeah, I think the net. Yeah. What it made me think. I think I'm about the same age as Poch, and one of the things that goes as an athlete, you'll find this, Tom, when you when you sort of 
get into a more middle stage of life. Thanks for ever considering me an athlete, by the way, <laughs> given that I'm sat next to a former footballer. But anyway, carry on. Well, Gregor might be finding this out, but you you start to lose your um, ability to ping a ball. So if, if Poch can still hit a Never crossbar, had that. wow, that's pretty good going. I don't think I can get it off the ground anymore. Yeah. Martin, on, on those comments then, and on Pochettino, and on this result for Chelsea. Uh, yeah, no, I was actually thinking of the crossbar challenge. Wasn't that the, wasn't that the uh, the fallout, so to speak, with Glenn Hoddle and David Beckham? Wasn't, would, wasn't that the skill? It was something like that, wasn't it? it? Was, yeah, yeah. You're obviously not good enough to do that skill because it was it was Glenn's party piece. Was it um, that he could hit the crossbar? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he could hit the crossbar, you know, at, at will almost. And what he challenged Beckham to do it in training. So it's 1998. Yeah, 1998. It was a training session, and. Uh, it was him and Beckham, and Beckham couldn't do it. Uh, Beckham couldn't couldn't get it. He's not that he couldn't do it. I mean, why would you want to hit the crossbar? I've never quite understood it. But anyway, he he couldn't do it, and that was Glenn Hoddle's very dismissive. You're obviously not good enough to do that skill, yeah. uh, which was the, the beginning of this sort of wedge. Mm. Begin mm. to form between him and the players because people like David Beckham. Interesting. Uh, and there's a lot of Manchester United players in the team, and they thought. That Glenn Hoddle had embarrassed him. Interesting. Um, yeah. In front of everybody, <coughs> and that was, that, the, that was the beginning of right. um, it, beginning to start to unravel. And then he leaves him out, and yeah. then he leaves Michael Owen out, and then he has to bring him back, and, mm. and everything like that. Yeah. Well, hopefully that doesn't happen with Michael Mudrick. Gregor, any good at hitting the crossbar? Good at scoring from corners? Any good at hitting the crossbar? Mm, it was all right. I had soccer AM in a couple of times at a couple of clubs to do that, and yeah. I never hit it. I was close, but I never hit it. I can envisage a game podcast live where we get some listeners on against Gregor and Tony Gasparino <laughs> so if they can hit the crossbar. <laughs> Moving on to other clubs who were grateful for a win Manchester United uh, beating Crystal Palace. Um, the trademark goal for Anthony Marshall at this time of the year. So, to start the pieces. <laughs> is this going to be his run and then get injured and miss uh, miss the next couple of games? But a big win for Eric Ten Hag, Johnny. Big win. Um, Ganacho scoring was good from I think the story was Amrabat getting his minutes on the pitch and looking pretty good at left back and uh, we've talked about him last week I think he does have a lot of personality um, and it's what that team needs at the moment uh, I, I did see them at Burnley at the weekend and it was better it was a step forward for them but they they still played like the smaller team against you know a team just promoted who dominated possession and territory for a lot of the game so I came away from that thinking there's this you know United maybe turned the corner but there's a long way to go so oh, careful on the turning the corner turning thing. we've the been corner. here again <laughs> well they, they just we, the history is that they're just capable of turning back aren't they but but they that was another step forward I think mm. and, I, and I, I, I think they need more than just Casemiro in terms of personality so yeah. I think Amrabat's um Got real potential, and but left back it makes sense at the moment. Playing inverted and coming yeah. in and using his, his passing range from the, in the middle, that might be something in Luke Shaw's absence yeah. that, that we could see more of. It's interesting though that he ends up there having everyone and Manchester United fans crying out for a second midfielder alongside yeah. Casemiro, and then Tane Hag sticks him in at left back. It does show that that absence of Luke Shaw is a massive, massive miss for them, doesn't? It? Yeah, because Luke, Luke Shaw was uh, one of the, one of the most, if not the most improved player last season. I, think, I mean, and, and from coming from a high base, but he was fantastic for a lot. Of the season and in a creative role, not just not just the defensive, but but really what he did getting forward, coming inside, and then allowing Rashford um, the, the the sort of space, making the space for Rashford to attack was really important. So, and you're not going to get that on the right from from Wan Bissaka. So, um, it, it it could be a, a, a reasonable solution for them in in Shaw's absence. Everton, Martin is the other team. Two and two mm-hmm. for Dominic Calvert Lewin. Talking about making changes and uh, resting players, pretty strong team from Sean Dyche, as you would perhaps expect going to Aston Villa. But a good win for them in terms of the momentum for their season. Now, I thought that was the um, that was the narrative of this round in many ways. That there were teams. I always think the Carabao Cup, the early rounds of the Carabao Cup, get managers sacked because if you've had a bad start to the season and then mm. suddenly you get turned over at Plymouth on a Tuesday night. That's when the ball goes right. We can't tolerate this anymore, and 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 you and you get the bullet. Whereas in in, in this round of the Carabao Cup, there were there were three teams, in fact, um, that managed to get a result that was really needed. Manchester United, obviously, being uh, the first, and Chelsea as well, but Everton being being the third. So there's a suddenly there's a small degree of momentum there, um, which is which is. 
what Deitch needs and what he hasn't been able to achieve so far. That's that's you know that's what he's been looking for. The you know the old joke about not being able to win enough games to have a slump. Um, that that was Everton, and and now suddenly they've 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 got they've they're back to back wins. They're into the last sixteen, which you know is 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 always. Uh, I think cup runs are good. I've never understood why why fa- why fans sometimes have now been brainwashed into thinking, oh, we we don't want to win a cup. We want to come, you know, sixteenth or whatever. That's the most important thing. Um, I could, because I think they build confidence. Mm. I think a good cup yeah. run builds confidence as as much as anything else. Um, I was talking to Mark Hughes the other week, who's who's at Bradford, and he was certainly excited by the fact they've got through the first three rounds that they got knocked out uh, this week mm. but but it's Bradford they're in, they're in the fourth division so um, but he was he was excited by this little bit of momentum and they they you know they drawn a game in the last minute and, and and they've got a couple of late goals in their league matches this season and he, he seemed to be suggesting that you know it was it was that sort of energy that they got from winning some of the early cup rounds it's, it's an interesting that point about the the impact it can have on on managers because I, I, I was at Leicester Blackburn last year I think it was I think it was the quarterfinals it might have been the round before the quarters where Leicester got knocked out at home in the in the cup <clears throat> took my daughters and that was the first time I think that Brendan Rodgers got kind of booze and and, mm. and the crowd started to turn against him and it was a classic where he'd rotated the side. He was trying to give people minutes. Um, maybe underestimated how good Blackburn were going to be. Went out at home. But what really came, what became clear was was the difference between how much the fans had invested in that game. They'd turned up Wednesday, Wednesday night, I think, in December. Um, and and to be sort of disappointed in that way, the, the, the fury started to come out in Rodgers. And I think that's the... The balancing act for managers who who, who are mm. rotating. West Ham had eighteen hundred fans at Lincoln last night. That 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 big game. That's why show some respect. <laughs> don't often get a chance to go to Central Bank. Exactly. Yeah, but, yeah. but no. But that that you think to yourself, David Moyes, I think rotated ten, mm. and that's a gamble when you've got eighteen hundred fans who've made that journey and and aren't turning up to see a kind of friendly match. Um, and he got away with it. You, you know, they'd have gone home happy, but. Mm. It, it, it was it, it's 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 difficult because obviously the manager's got to look at the whole season. We know why they rotate, but it's still a, it's still a competition. Isn't Luton, it? yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Luton, mm-hmm. Luton Town have lost to Exeter, and you know you could say they definitely need a win. Mm. And yeah. I think for the first time, look, not no doubts about Rob Edwards or anything, but he can have had to hold his hands up and say, "This is my mm-hmm. fault." And you know, I think probably. Realised that he got that wrong, and it's what it, it was an opportunity to to kind of have a bit of happiness and get a win, yeah, <laughs> which yeah. they badly great, need. A great win they, for X two. I don't think Sam Allardyce at West Ham, oh. and I might be remembering this. I, I hope I'm remembering this correctly, but I don't think his relationship with West Ham's fans ever recovered from going to Nottingham Forest. Yes, five now. Um, putting out a basic, basically reserve. I think there were seven guys that never played another game for West Ham in that team they were very very clear young players they weren't ready for the first team and and you know Johnny said the score 5-0 and I don't think he ever re- his relationship with the fans ever really recovered from that because West Ham aren't going to win the league so um the FA Cup is going to be as as good as it. Cup competitions for a lot of teams these days are going to be quite probably as good as it gets, mm. and they matter. Yeah. They really do matter. They, Newcastle, Manchester City last night, and you know I'm not saying this is why they win or or whatever. The winning the League Cup would matter so much more to Newcastle than it does to Manchester City yeah. right now. Yeah. You know, no matter that they've got PSG next week and, and, and you know, I, I get that and I don't think it should have been on the television. I, 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 you know, I think there were better, you know, cup giant killing potential games that they should have put on ahead of ahead of this match, which is the least significant mm. meeting of Newcastle and Manchester City that will probably play this season. Having said that, what is undeniable is that winning a trophy, any trophy, would be huge for Newcastle. 
Greg, just issues. to finish with you on the rotation thing and what the guys were talking about of when you're playing, doesn't matter, you just want to keep playing. That That's true, isn't it? You know, all this idea of being... We talk, we started at the top talking about excuses and tiredness. But when it comes to, comes to cup runs and the league, you just want to keep playing, don't you? Yeah, although there's even psychology in that too because it's, if you... If like there are some people changed and you're left in, it's it's almost like, it's almost like there's a hierarchy. Mm. <laughs> you why, think, well, why is he being rested and I'm not? Footballers yeah. are a weird bunch, honestly. But uh, you know, if you get the whole team and you're, you're happy to be absolutely happy to keep playing and winning, no no, no question about that. Still something simmering away. <laughs> he definitely got picked <laughs> no, in a cup game when everyone else got rested, <laughs> didn't he? We'll come to that story for the next week's intro, perhaps. So yeah. Mansfield and Port Vale facing each other in the next round, hoping, knowing that, please, God, if we win, we'll get a big tie in the quarterfinals. So good luck to them and congratulations to Exeter as well. Uh, Stick with us. Up next, we'll be talking all things coaches. If you're enjoying the podcast, make sure you're subscribed. And if you're enjoying the Rugby World Cup at the minute, as well as a bit of football, make sure you check out The Rook, our sister podcast. They've been doing some brilliant things, including a series with former captains on how to win the World Cup. Just search for The Rook wherever you get your podcasts. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome back to the Game Football Podcast from The Times. I'm Tom Clark and I've got Martin Samuel, Johnny Northcroft and Gregor Robertson with me. Up next, we're talking all things coaching. Modern coaches, assistant managers, and the reason being, Johnny, you've done two big hitting pieces for the Sunday Times in recent weeks. The first was uh, a few weeks ago where you uh, spoke to a young coach who can speak German, Portuguese. He gets up to run at 5.30 in the morning. He's got three kids. Uh, he's worked with Thomas Tuchel and Harry Kane and Cristiano Ronaldo, and he's mm. the best British coach you've never heard of. And his name is Anthony Barry. Tell us a bit more about what, him. What a great sell. Um, <laughs> he's learning Portuguese and German. It I know, I knew he's you trying, were going to clarify. He's trying. He's Listen, trying. if he's learning, he's speaking in my book. That's all I can say. Is that right? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll yeah. give him that. Yeah. Come well, on, we'll give him that. Wouldn't well, have been my German teacher's definition <laughs> <laughs> of me between <laughs> <laughs> 11 and 16. You know, I'm trying. I'm learning. I'm learning. He's speaking it. Ask me. Yeah, of course. But it's typical, actually, of Anthony. Maybe it's a good starting point. I mean, he he's incredibly energetic he's an absolute energy bomb of a person and I'd, I'd spoken to him on on the phone and actually on zoom before but i hadn't met him in on in the flesh and that was the first thing that that, that kind of strikes you is someone's personal energy and their demeanor mm. and, and i always then think how would that be as, a, as as somebody working for them or playing for them and and he would be one of those that would just absolutely fill you with with enthusiasm but his energy is such as you see you described his routine you know he said he doesn't sleep very much and never has but with languages, he set himself the goal of delivering a session in Portuguese to that Portugal team. Yeah. So court. I was going to say that was my that mine was, that was an your, ethereal intro. Yeah, but, yeah, you yeah. Know, that, that, The reason being is that he's currently working for Bayern Munich and, and, Portugal. and Portugal. So I mean, it, to give you his potted history, um, he 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 he, actually, he he was a reasonable player um, at youth level, but actually played in the same youth team as Wayne Rooney for for Everton. But then classically didn't didn't deliver on the promise and started coaching quite early under. Um, Paul Cook, um, 
who and, and John Coleman too who if you look at the the coaches who've come through who's worked who've worked with them um they're kind of unsung heroes I think of the English coaching kind of firmament so we started with 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 Cook at Wigan um and while working at Wigan got himself had to push to get himself onto the pro license course and the LMA man, manager's diploma because he was of such a low level but sort of forced his way in the door um and then produced this incredible um thesis for the pro license where he he, he watched 17,000 throw-ins and 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 wrote a, a dissertation on the under 17,000 throw-ins yeah well his 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 kind of he had he said he had a gut instinct that um you know the old-fashioned way of chuck it down the line and sort of see what if Gregor could... used to do yeah <laughs> not right. very far either but, yeah yeah, yeah I, I was coached the same way and and, and, and it's maybe yeah anyway so he he, he had just had an instinct that was probably not the best way to do things you know but there might be a cleverer way to do do it with throw-ins and it was around at the time time Liverpool brought in Thomas Gronemark and we were all in the media sort of having a bit of a titter about mm. throw-in coaches whatever next and uh, Anthony kind of thought they maybe there's maybe there's a good point because there are more restarts via throw-ins than any other set piece for yeah. example anyway I've digressed in, into throw-ins he found there was a big correlation between teams that can keep possession from a throw-in and league success and teams that just sort of chuck it down the line and that was one of his findings got became published he was a star pupil of the um, pro license and it was quite a good cohort at Michael Carrick Kola Toure Frank Lampard and off the back of that Frank brought him into Chelsea um, as 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 um, initially set pieces were his kind of thing uh, and, and Chelsea he had an impact too didn't he massive impact Chelsea's set pieces just completely turned around he then started working with Ireland uh, with Stephen Kenny, who he didn't know at all, but but Kenny brought him in. He did set pieces with Ireland, and he did um, defensive structure. And again, Ireland's results sort of turned around. And then since then, he's he's had a kind of a dual career where he's been a, a national team assistant and he's been a club assistant. Um, he went from Ireland to Belgium with Roberto Martinez, and then with with Martinez to to, to Portugal. It's quite striking that the people who meet him and work with him then take him. Yeah. On. Because that's also what happened with Tuchel, right? From very from, much from so. Chelsea to he, he was a, he was the last rem, he was the one remnant of Frank's staff that Tuchel kept on. Not not that he, not that Tuchel looked at the other ones and didn't want them, but they left with Frank and 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 Anthony decided to to see if he you know if Tuchel wanted them and and they just hit it off. They really really hit it off. I think Tuchel's a very energetic and kind of you know bloke that's just full of thoughts and ideas. And, and Bayern paid a seven figure sum for him, right? As yeah, in, I mean, in terms of like a tra- not not a transfer, but yeah, in terms of compensation. No, they paid. Yeah, they paid a, about a million pounds for him, and and that might be unprecedented in terms of. Or Chelsea probably subsequently given Brighton mm, yes, a million true, for very true. someone we don't even know. But but um, so yeah, I mean, Bayern paid a lot of money to get him, but but and Tuchel's brought him not just as you know what part of the staff, but as his, as his proper number two, and he fulfills that role for um, for Portugal now. But it. it I think we're going to get on to talk about the role of the number two. What's fascinating yeah. is um, how much power in the modern game or how much responsibility in the modern game a lot of number twos are given. I think because management and coaching has become such an enormous job. Yeah. Um, and it's different, but it de- depends on which manager you're working with. So at Bayern, Anthony's job with, with, with Tuchel's to really be... Um, his kind of his kind of mirror, really. I think I think they work very closely together on the attacking side of the game, but also on things like recruitment and you know devising game strategy. Whereas with Portugal, it's more to do with um, he's the, he's got more of a you know Martinez just tells him to organise training. You devise the training plans, you set it all up, kind of thing. Um, and Martinez takes more of that kind of managerial role, mm. as as it were. Um, and he does a lot of one-to-one work with the players. So him and Ronaldo have, 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 have hit, seem to have hit it off quite well. Uh, and, and him and Harry Kane, obviously, and, and, and so on. But he, he was t- In your piece, he told a great story about Ronaldo, didn't he? In terms of the yeah. preparations and the fact that they were on a, on a tr- journey back from a game no, and everyone were, was sleeping were, or something. And they, he was, yeah, no, they were flying to Iceland and it was, he said it was just a normal plane. You know, Portuguese FA hadn't chartered anything fancy. It was just a normal plane. And... Um, it was a nighttime flight as well, so Anthony got up to 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 go and use the the, the toilet, and if he walked down the the aisle of the plane, and all the players are on their iPads watching films or whatever, 
and he got to the back of the plane and Ronaldo had made a space for himself and was trying to fit in a little session um, in, in the sort of half an hour he had before landing um, was working on his legs and stuff like that and, and, and that's the first time they, they, they spoke properly and he said he sat down with them and and, and then he said I, I said you know when you've come from Wigan and you've come from this background and then you have to work with a real elite how do you actually mm. connect with them and he said look it's really simple with the best players just want to win the really elite guys they just want to win and they just want to get better and if they think you can give them even half a percent that will make them give them a chance of getting better and win they'll buy into you but equally if you're a bit of a bluffer they'll they'll leave you straight away mm. so you've got to you've got to show them that you know your stuff he said you've got to know your stuff so well he said, another thing he said was top players know the game better than us coaches he said, yeah. that's just a fact so you have to almost be so on top of everything the methodology the, the what, what your beliefs are that you can demonstrate to them the, the and communicate very quickly and clearly because also they don't want to hang around you've mm. got to communicate really quickly and clearly I know what I'm talking about and I can help you here yeah. and buy into them and and I think that he, Kevin De Bruyne's another one that he he found high demands but brilliant to work with at Belgium for exactly the same reason De Bruyne's so driven just wants to be better all the time and quite quick to get disillusioned if he doesn't think he's being helped Absolutely fascinating Johnny Martin I want to come to you because there's a line in Johnny's piece which says uh, Barry's ambition is to be a head coach at the top of the game but there's no hurry which hints at a slight kind of foreboding about these coaches that are so revered, so admired by the likes of Cristiano Ronaldo and the top players and then when they maybe move into the number one spot they can't quite pull it off as a manager, as a head coach what what do you think of that within football and you know names that spring to mind that have been great coaches and that maybe haven't made it at the very top I think the head coach is is pretty much everything always have done and uh, I've seen so many uh, in the past, Colin Harvey with Harold Kendall, Harold mm. Collins, the brains behind the operation, and then Harold Kendall leaves, and Colin Harvey takes over the team, and it wasn't Harold Kendall's Everton. Um, same with Ray Harford and Kenny Dalglish, and I love Ray. I, you know what a fellow Ray was, and uh, but he wasn't Kenny Dalglish. He wasn't Kenny Dalglish. He didn't have. He didn't have that same. Um, how to put this that same that same instinct and and he, and, he, and he wasn't fundamentally Kenny Dalglish who could you know Alan Shearer uh, will tell you that one of the only guys that ever taught him anything about <laughs> scoring goals was Kenny Dalglish um, about slightly delaying your shot because then the defender will put his leg out and you can hit it through and then the goalkeeper doesn't see it until late mm. if you've really got great technique and that came from Kenny Dalglish um and you know, and this is not to decry. Um, this is this is not to decry um, Johnny's piece, and it's not to decry the worth of of, of looking at seventeen thousand throw-ins. Mm. Um, you know, there will obviously be some value in that. The more you study something, the more you should learn. The better you'll get at it. That was Sir Clive Woodward's um, point about repetition, about repetition in penalties, and and, and, and things like that. However, the day that the results aren't bad mm. and the and the board of directors meet and say we're going to sack the throwing coach mm. is the day that I will take those guys more seriously than I take the fella who is actually going to get the bullet there's a story about Martin O'Neill when he was manager of Leicester when he started um when he started at Leicester and they couldn't win they, they just couldn't win I don't know if you can remember this this run of matches it was like dreadful I think they had to barricade themselves into the dressing room at, 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 right. at one stage because the fans had invaded the pitch and got down the tunnel and they literally had to hide in their own dressing room and push things up against the door because they thought their own fans were going to murder them and um Martin's sitting in his office he's got what and he's got this game he's got this game coming up on the Wednesday and if he doesn't win it um, he, he can't see that you know. Mm. There's no way forward, and and, and he, he thinks he's going to get the bullet. And if he gets the bullet there, what what what? He's only managed Wickham so far. He's thinking this could be the end <laughs> of his managerial career. Any trust that's facing him, and the fella comes in who's like the youth team coach or academy director or whatever, and he's sitting in there, and and, and Martin's like head in his hands and, and stuff, and the fella says to him. 
Oh, it's not all bad though, Martin. He said, we've got some smashing 15-year-olds coming through. <laughs> he said, and Martin looked at him and he said, FNL used to me is that. Yeah. <laughs> it's absolutely true. <laughs> now, that was this guy's job and it's a really important job and it's really important that Leicester do have good 15-year-olds coming mm. through. But if you have got to win on Wednesday night, otherwise you are going to get the bullet, that really is not your concern and not that <laughs> that not that significant you will not be taking any great solace from that the point on Kenny Dalgleish mm. is the one I want to come back to because it links slightly to something you said that Anthony had said about his kind of coming up and that you know speaking to Cristiano Ronaldo and the like you've got to, mm. I've got to justify myself here because he's thinking who the hell am I do you think that is easier to do as a coach who can go I can tweak I've got I've got my 17,000 throw in mm. thesis and I can tweak your game slightly to give you an extra 1% as opposed to being in the top job where if you're not Kenny Dalgleish and the players are going oh, bloody hell it's Kenny Dalgleish mm. do you think that's a no, factor for these coaches 100% and I'm, I am on board with what, what Martin says that it, it is always about number ones ultimately that, 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 that a coach has got a different job and I think that's what a good one recognises so Anthony recognises his job's different to Thomas Tuchel mm. um, uh, he, he, he has to perform that he has to, have, and this isn't a new thing. You know, if you look, if you speak to the United players, going back to them again to the Fergie era, um, Brian Kidd had that job with him. He his job was to be the guy that he took training. Fergie didn't really take training, and Brian Kidd had that job to to do the teaching and the coaching and to be close to them and to be their their mate and to impart those mm. little bits of, of of knowledge sometimes um, or those technical things that. The head coach might want to take a bit of a, a step back. And mm. Postacoglu, I think we, we might have been about to talk about him. And I, I, I wrote about him last week, and I know his number two, Chris Davis, quite well. Brilliant young coach as well, who who worked with Brendan Rodgers at, at Celtic and Swansea and Liverpool and Leicester. And has got the old Brian Clough style, where he almost says nothing through the week, and he stands and he watches, but he sees absolutely mm. everything. And when he does deliver, it's incredibly impactful. That means the number two's job is to be very hands-on with the coaching. But it's diff- it's that, that's almost to enable Ange to, to keep his authority. Mm. Um, I think different head coaches want to do it in, in, in different managers want to do it in different ways. And the number two's got to be appropriate to that style of managing. The line about Anthony and and is, is, is sort of no hurry I mean I think he said, he said to me he's in love with Thomas Tuchel mm-hmm. you know he is at the best in his mind finishing school that he could ever have he wants to absorb everything that Tuchel's got but at some point he'll want to be and he's only 37 37, yeah. 38 so there really and is no hurry in that respect there is no hurry but I suppose some of them do try, as Martin said the, the world's littered with I mean Fergie alone must have had 25 number twos he never yeah. amounted to number ones Brian but, Kidd of course being the example yeah. of someone who mm. went to be a manager and, and also you notice that the club goes down the, goes yeah. up the pictures the minute that Fergie leaves not the yeah. minute that yeah. a number two one of these yeah. 20 odd number twos Archie yeah. Knox Brian yeah. Kidd Steve McLaren or whatever mm. Rennie Mullenstein yeah Rennie Mullenstein they, they keep Kira winning the league yeah. and they keep yeah. being successful and then Fergie leaves and suddenly yeah. it's kaput mm. so it's the difference between leadership and coaching. That's the yeah, ultimate. Exactly. That's I think, the, I, think really, exactly. I just want to say that I think the real that there are press that there are guys who go on yeah, there and are. do the finishings and, and then absorb it. You know, Arteta is a glaring example at the moment, of course, of somebody that probably stayed for just long enough with mm-hmm. with, with Guardiola, but then became as book been very much his own man. But I think Capello did it with with Saki, didn't he, in mm-hmm. Milan back in the day? Walter Smith, Mourinho. Did it for a long time. Mourinho, of mm. course, was Van yeah. Gaal's number number two. So it's possible to make that jump. Yeah. But I think the key is not to have the humility and not to think it's it's you and not the head coach, but also yeah. to time it. Paul we'll come Clement. back to Chris Davis. Paul yes, Paul Clement, another great example. Paul Clement, Carlo Ancelotti, and, and yeah. various people. And Carlo taking him all around Europe. Yeah. And we're thinking, God, this guy's going to be amazing. When he eventually emerges from Carlo Ancelotti's shadow, mm-hmm. Paul Clement is going to rock the coaching world. And... I think he's unlucky. <laughs> but that's another great, conversation. It could well be. Greg, there's yeah. a lot of unlucky fellas. Yeah, absolutely. They really absolutely. are. Um, well, and he could be one of them. We'll yeah. come back to Chris Davis, Johnny, because I want to talk about that piece separately in its own right. But, Greg, a couple of points on this. You did your co- one of your coaching badges with Anthony Barry, right? Did my UEFA B licence with, with him. Yeah, we were both kind of, you know, as you say, he's about 38, I'm 39, we were r- roughly the same age. I played against him 
in League One a few times. He had a proper, you know, yeah. Johnny Scott over his. He had a career. He played for you know, there were lower league teams: Accrington, Stanley, yeah. uh, Yeovil, uh, Chester, I think, Fleetwood. You can, mm. Sometimes it was the, the high-paying teams in the National League and stuff. Yeah. So. He had a, a career, and, and I think, as Johnny said, when he was maybe 27, 28, he started coaching. But on the UEFA B, there were two people who stood out to me, like immediately, and there was it was him and Laura Bassett. How many people are in that pool then when you're doing it? Is it a small, you know, is it five, six, no, or is no, it like huge? 20, 30, maybe. Right. Um, Matt Gill was another who's now assistant to Russell Martin at mm. Southampton. But they I were the two, because the thing I, you know, I'd be fascinated to see his, his career because. He's come from lower league football, and then he suddenly, you know, he's won the Champions League with Chelsea, and he's going to, you know, he's clearly so highly thought of by mm. Frank Lampard, by Thomas Tuchel, by these huge names, from where he's come from, which was something I kind of can associate with a bit. It's it's fascinating to see that, but the thing, it, it you know, he spoke about the thing you've got to be is competent, and so I saw that he was competent, but it's also there's a part of it is personality as well, and he spoke about how mm. he felt a little bit. How am I going to be able to stand up and speak in front of people? And I can I can relate to that as well. This is such an alien thing for a footballer to do. Like, you, you know, and presumably do... that's part of the course, right? They they give you those, well, they challenge you. Not so like, much. No? Not so much. It's about the fundamentals of like you know, you talk about the the four corners, te- te- four corners, technical, tactical. I can't even remember them. Psychological. And so <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's why you're, that's why you're <laughs> in here. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's why our careers diverse. But uh, no, it's it's more about the kind of the nuts and bolts of of I've been able to put on a session. Mm. Those other things are things that you either have, have naturally, which he had a bit of, and Johnny's talk, spoken about his, his He hired his a presentation energy, coach. But he actually, yeah, he went to a speaker, joined a speakers club. So the thing I always thought was about, you know, there's, I've written a piece about this, about people where you, you come from a, a low base or you're not a footballer at all, and you, you, you've always got a hurdle to overcome. But if you're bright, uh, if you're bright, you generally you'll be hardworking uh, and you'll have some, some energy about you. But, that's the most important thing. Like, there's so many footballers who, who know so much about football, but they don't know how to articulate what they know. Mm. Uh, and so, if someone who, who who puts in years of work that also footballers haven't done because they've been playing football, they put in years of work as a coach, and he'd put in work. Laura Bassett had put in work because she she played in in, in women's football where mostly you know she played for Birmingham and your job was, was double, you know, was, was twin, uh, twin pronged. It was like you worked in the community, you went out and coached, and then you played for the part-time for, for, for a women's team. So these, the, the reason the two people who stood out were so good was because they'd done it. They'd, yeah. they'd, they'd gone away and off their own volition or, you know, they'd, they'd been coaches, whereas everyone else was coming towards the end of their career and like, you know, all right, I, I, need, I need to tick a box. I need to get my badges. Yeah. I need to be a foot, you know. So was that if I you, want to be a coach, I need to do this. Was that what you had been a coach. Was that what you were doing, ticking the boxes? Yeah, All yeah. jokes aside, because obviously you now went into the media and into journalism. Did, did you? Was it? Is it like a reflex? I'm retiring. I must do my badges. It was like I was like I think I should do this because uh, I might. You know, I, I did the journalism course because I thought I, I should do this in case I like it. Mm. I didn't know you don't know what mm. to do when you finish a lot of the time. It's hard. Yeah. So um, I did the coaching badges, and I found I did quite like it, but I just. There were some. That's why I was so interested reading that. There were some mm. things about sort of doubts about yourself that mm. that Anthony Barry had that I I could see I shared. So what were the biggest doubts you had that you like, weren't I, able to overcome? It's not that I wasn't able to able to overcome them. It's just that I didn't I didn't do all the things he he did because I I I took this this route. Yeah. You know maybe I would have maybe I I, I don't know but and maybe I wouldn't have been good enough. But the fact is you have to as you as you see you have to you have to engage often if you want to be good. You have to engage players who probably were better than you, uh, and you have to, you have to, you have to be sort of different as well. I think if you want to be successful, you have to mm. be able to plan your own sessions and and you know it's not it's not easy coaching. It's like it used to be a kind of you put on a put on a session and you and then you know a small sided game and then you play a game on the Saturday mm. and it's not anymore. You need to you need to be able to engage players because they want to buy into something. Coaches are teachers, and there's one yeah. reason there's only one Pep Guardiola. It's not it's not just the IP that he's got. It's how he communicates with people, how he how he teaches players, how he how he connects with them, and that's that's maybe that indefinable thing that that you have to try to find to see if if you've got it or not, or if you want to have it, or maybe you can develop. It. I, I I don't know. To Martin's point about then you know coaches, head coaches, and esteem. Did you? Firstly, have a similar thing with where 
if the manager was of a certain esteem, a certain reputation, that added some uh, kudos, if you like, to what he was saying, or uh, compared to a coach who you were like, I don't, I've never heard of this bloke. Yeah, but it doesn't last. I always if they re- impress I always, you, it doesn't. I always refer to Rainer Bonhoff at, in the Scotland <laughs> Under Twenty One team, and like he won the World Cup when he was twenty two. He was a colossal of a midfield, you know, colossus of a midfield player for Germany. Uh, I think he won the European Cup with yeah. Valencia. And yeah, the I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So he stands up, he speaks, you listen, but almost nothing of what he said stayed in your mind because he wasn't a coach. He mm. wasn't, you know, he, he he just he just wasn't very good to be brutally honest. And like he's not been a coach. He didn't he didn't stay in that line of work long. I think he went into a kind of a directorial role at uh, one of his clubs in Germany. Um, so you know that's one example. And then I often I often the chemistry is the other thing. The, the other one I would refer to is. Chris Wilder and Alan Nil, who, you know, took Sheffield United from League One to, to the to the Premier League, you know, they wowed the Premier League with these overlapping centre halves and stuff. That was Alan Nil. Mm. Everyone you say, oh, Chris Wilder, no, that was Alan Nil, absolutely. And their dynamic was, was shifted earlier in their career. Alan Nil had been the manager, really, and uh, and uh, Chris Wilder was his assistant at Bury. Uh, but their personalities, again, it comes back to personality and leadership, their personalities absolutely suit the way it is now. Mm. Not only because Wilder's a really good coach, eh, sorry, Alan Nell's a really good coach, but because Wilder is kind of a leader and he's intense and he's really like demanding and sometimes a little bit scary. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Alan Nell didn't really have that, but he's really smart and he, he did all the stuff about analysing set pieces and <laughs> watching obscure football to see if you could find a little so a little Spartak edge. Moscow do that. So Spartak Moscow do that, that right? against Blackburn. That thing with the centre halves, and that was against Ray Harford's Blackburn because Kenny had won the league, got them into the Champions League, and um, got them into the Champions League, and and then left, and Ray got the job, the job that he'd always wanted, and. Suddenly, it's 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 a, it's a little bit different. And they were playing Spartak Moscow in their first game in the Champions League on, I want to say, the Tuesday night. And I had dinner with Ray on the Monday night, and he'd given this weird press conference about getting up and at them and getting in their face and all the stuff that you knew Ray didn't actually believe. Mm. Ray mm. liked good football and keeping it on the ground and knocking it about. It wasn't the Route One man at all. And, it, and this, he was talking about getting in their faces and they won't have faced an English team and stuff. And we were sitting there having dinner. And I said to him, do you really believe that? I said, do you, do you, do you really think that? I said, that that's the way you, you've got to go against Spartak Moscow. I said, no. He said, he said, um, he said we've got no chance. He said, they're a different class than us. He said, they've got, he said, they've got two centre-halves. And he described how these guys played and it was Nicky Foroff and Victor Anoko yeah. and he described how they played and this like it was basically like Petit and Vieira used to play <laughs> in midfield but operating at centre half and one went and the other stayed and, and mm. it di- you didn't know who was going to take the ball out of the back next he said you know he said I'm <laughs> fighting that <laughs> basically was, he didn't say he was fighting out of his life he said but I've watched him in a different class to us and they were basically, and they should have won. They should have won the Champions League that season. But it was that classic Russian thing. They came out of the group with six wins out of six, and then basically sold the entire team <laughs> in the uh, January transfer window. That'll and do. then got you can't knocked, get good coaching past that. And then you? got knocked out, I think, by Nantes or someone like that. You know, it was like See, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me if Alan Nil knew about that. Yeah, and probably, like, almost. And I just remember speaking to him about it after, and he said that it was in League One when they played against Walsall once. And because they were the big club, and you know, teams would sit in in a really low block. It's like they were just desperate to find a, another overload, and that's when it started. But no one recognised it until they got to the Premier mm. League. <laughs> Johnny, coming back to Chris Davis, you mm. mentioned him before. I just want to quickly mention him because that was the second piece. Uh, number two to Ange Postecoglou, of course. Um, tell us a bit more about him because you were mentioning how he kind of leads the training sessions and Ange kind of sits back. Tell us a bit more about that dynamic. Yeah, and again, it's a different dynamic to the one Chris had at. With 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 Brendan, where it was maybe more like the one I described between Barry and uh, and Tuchel, where they were very close. Like Brendan was Chris's um, manager, ring at Reading under 18s. Chris was his under 18 captain, so they had this relationship that went all the way back. 
he got a knee injury, um, went into Swansea as an analyst and, and worked for Brendan that entire time. So they were very, you know, like sort of two sides of the same coin, whereas Ange famously goes from job to job without taking an entourage of staff with him, which I find really fascinating because it goes against what we see nearly every coach do. And it's I think it's partly because you can be all kind of get into his backstory and you know immigrant family who who learnt very much to thrive in an alien environment and have that spirit and, and that's, what his, that's what his dad was like that's what he's like he doesn't want to have safety nets he wants to to, to go and start afresh so there's part of that but I think it's partly clever trying to get different and new knowledge but as I said before what he wants his number two to do is you go and do all the coaching but I will deliver the messaging and and I will I will stand and watch. And Chris said to me when I talked to him about Ange that you could, he wants, he might go three days without saying something and then you'll discuss a player and you'll say, you know, what, what about him for the weekend? And you'll say, yeah, well, he's, you know, he's, he's done okay. And Ange will go, yeah, but on Thursday there was that, there was that throw in and he you know, didn't, didn't turn his body the right way and he has seen every single detail so he stood there being quiet training. but has actually spotted absolutely everything that's spotted happened. everything yeah and and also as a coach you feel wow he's, he's really on top of everything I do as well but it, it enables Ange to keep that order and I think Martin mentioned Martin O'Neill that that he, I think he had the same kind yeah, of similar sort of thing he let Steve Wolford do a lot yeah, of the coaching he did. didn't he, he did, yeah. and then Martin had that order that when he spoke and when he delivered something it was it was special and you can also be the fun guy as well that that's the other thing that that, yeah. that there's that dynamic as well that you get somebody else mm. to do all of that horrible mm. stuff that players hate doing yeah um and Clough would do that he'd have Alan Hill I think um yeah. have them running up and down you you know we're talking about rather unsophisticated times by comparison to now but literally running up and down the terraces yeah uh to do conditioning work and then it would be Clough that came out mm. and went. What, what are we doing this for? Mm. What we, you know, let, right, let's get the ball out and, and everything. And it was all worked out. He, he wasn't actually undermining it. Mm. Alan Hill knew exactly what was going to happen, but it made Clough seem like the yeah. uh, the fun guy. Venables did it with yeah. Van Hal. Mm. Yeah, sorry, no, I was going to say, you know, Terry Venables when he managed England is a. I don't know how old Terry was at the time, but he was a Frank Sinatra fan and, and stuff like that. He wasn't he mm. wasn't a guy that was in you know, in down with the kids basically. He was old enough, you know, mm. he was old enough to be people's dad or, or whatever. He had two coaches, if you remember that in yeah. Yeah. There's Brian Robson, because Brian Robson walks into a dressing room and everyone's jaw drops open and they can't believe it's Brian Robson and, and so he's got that guy. He's got Don Howe. And this is huge. He's got Don Howe. She thought Don was the best defensive coach in the country. Mm. And so Don would, you know, in his you know, pork pie hat sometimes or whatever, would be taking coaching and doing all of these repetitive drills that are so important defensively. And then Terry could come out like Mr. Bojangles and go, mm. right, now let's... Let's, let's get you some chips. Let's have a bit of fun. No, let's, you know, let's have a game. Let's do this. Yeah. And and, so, and almost like a little bit take the mickey out of Don. Or, oh, what's he got you doing? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was all planned. And Don didn't mind. Mm. And, and that's what he was there for. And it's fascinating because you'll, you'll know, Matt, Terry was supposedly an incredible coach himself mm. on the grass. So he mm. could do it, couldn't he? Yeah, he absolutely. Not to, and I think if you look at Ange's career, again, an incredible coach on the grass. It's just he's chosen to to sort of step back. But you have. To, he, I think one of the reasons for that, and he said it in the fans forum at Spurs last week, Ange said, he said, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm 58. And it, it's, it's con I'm conscious that I'm ever more distant to the, in Absolutely. age to the players Chris is 38 and he is of the generation he still looks like a player mm -hmm. and there's that relatability but they've got a synergy so you know Ange is about attacking intensity and that's exactly what, what Chris Davis's background is it, it, that's what he delivered for Brendan it's attacking it's no, there'd be no point if he was a coach with you know I don't know long ball beliefs or having one thing with, that's big with Ange is you can't believe in a plan B Hmm. Plan A's just got to be better. Plan A's to to go all yeah. in and well, take time. Well, there's a and that's, and that's, that's pep pep. as well, isn't it? He's it got is. plan A and plan A plan squared. A. But yeah, you know, yeah. That's, that's what he's got. And and that's that's Chris's background too. So yeah, he, he, he said it's important not to convey to players that there's another option here. Yeah. 
you describe a training session where bodies are flying into the box, all in with attacks, uh, diving in, trying to score. Will they be doing that, Tottenham, this weekend against Liverpool? I just want to finish with looking ahead to that game because it is the big game of the weekend, 5.30 on a Saturday. Yeah, I'm going, are you going to be there? I'm going there. I think it'll be amazing because, yes, I, th- I think they will. I don't think they'll alter their approach one bit in any game. But we know Liverpool barely do as well. And and Ange is a, probably a hybrid between Pep and, and Klopp. You know, he's got some of the pep ideas about possession play and working out overloads. But when it comes to, to, to attacking, believes in a lot more in chaos than structure. Um, and and partly because he, think, you know, he thinks Pep's the best in the world at that. So there's no point trying to do it. I've got to try and do something different. Mm. But yeah, I think I think him and Klopp is both at the top end of the pitch, very similar. And, and it will be um, a super intense game, I think. Martin, excited about this one? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Very good game. Um, no, it's it's very interesting because you've got two teams, as you say, with with quite similar styles and a, a quite similar sense of abandon at times um, in the way they play. So it is going to come down to who's got the best players, um, and that's what makes it very interesting because. Tottenham, are, 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 these tests keep getting put in front of Tottenham. Oh, well, we'll see how they go against Manchester United. And they beat Manchester United. And then it was, see how they go against Arsenal. And they got a, a very valid point against Arsenal. And, and you know, it, if they'd have won it, it wouldn't have been a travesty of, uh, of justice by any, uh, by any stretch of the imagination. Um, and now it's Liverpool. And then if they beat Liverpool then you've really got to take them seriously in terms of what they can achieve this season. Not that you, you don't take them seriously at the moment, but but there's some results that are marquee results that are, you know, put a flag in that. And um, and beating Liverpool. Uh, Liverpool haven't lost since April. Something like, like that. Something like that. Um, yeah, I haven't yeah. lost you. Yeah. 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 Early, early April. Early April. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. Quite a, it's quite a long. It's, it's quite a, a year, near enough four months. I haven't lost. Um, so that would be a, a very very big result for Tottenham. Both teams love a comeback victory as well. They do. Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll be trying to get each other's score first. No one's ever dead, are they? No one's ever out of this, you know. I say this before every preview of a big match, nil-nil incoming. Gregor, you got a game this weekend? Yeah, you said that last week about (laughs) Arsenal-Tottenham. I was right about that, wasn't I? Tall draw and you couldn't put a sheet of paper between the two of them. Gregor, you at a game? I'm at uh, one of the opening uh, WSL fixtures, yes. Uh, Chelsea v Spurs. The big one. Big big start to the Women's Super League season. Uh, Thanks for listening, everyone. Johnny Northcroft, Martin Samuel, Gregor Robson, thanks for joining me. Make sure you're subscribed to The Times to get Johnny's on-the-whistle match report from the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and Martin's column as well for the Sunday Times. Make sure you're tuned in on Monday. We'll be assessing all the best action from the weekend. I'm off to find myself a giant chip. We'll see you soon. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rustoleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustoleum.